Welcome, welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We are bringing on longtime NHL veteran Brian Allen. And Brian had a decorated professional hockey career. He was actually drafted fourth overall in the 1998 NHL draft, the same draft where Vinny LeCavalier went uh, number one, played in over 14 seasons in the NHL, over 700 games, and brought an awesome perspective to this podcast about his journey, but he's also a very, very, very passionate youth hockey coach. He's got uh, kids coming up through the game, also has a daughter who's a volleyball player. So get to talk a lot about youth sports on this one and uh, what a fun one it was. But before we do get over to Brian, let's bring on our shirtless friend, Jeffrey Lavecchio right now. Vex, what's going on today, my man? I am shirtless. You are correct. You're welcome for that site. Uh, I'm doing... (laughs) I'm doing great, bro. Just having uh, having a good week and uh, excited to be on here with you. You. <laughs> so my daughter, my three-year-old, she kind of like knows the song now. She knows like the start to the podcast and she like half mouths it and knows it. So whenever I'm like editing it or it comes on in the car because she asks for it in the car sometimes, she's always like does this little dance with her head. And then she kind of like mumbles. And when it goes to you, she like screams, yeah. it's amazing it's awesome it's awesome so uh this was a fun one i mean it's one of the best things about youth hockey is when nhl veterans and people who have played at the higher levels really get invested into it and you saw that i wanted to ask you because you saw that firsthand in st louis when guys like jeff brown and basil mccray and and keith kachuk and al mckinnis those guys got really invested in the st louis junior blues program and wow did they put St. Louis youth hockey on the map after, of course you did long, long ago with, with your age group. <laughs> yeah, um, totally. So just like, what was that like seeing all those professional guys get into it and become invested into it? And then like now seeing the rewards, how does that kind of like make you feel as a St. Louis junior blue alum? Um, it's unreal. It's actually St. Louis triple a blues alum. The St. Louis junior blues are something else. Uh, <sighs> You get it right or pay the price. Uh, actually, uh, uh, unbelievable, man. And like, it's interesting when when I remember some of the parents being a little bit upset actually when they first when a lot of the the NHL alumni started to come back because they kind of wanted to tr- change things like more than they had been done. Like they want things were done maybe a certain way. Not upset, but just you know they were like, no, 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 we're doing it this way. And I remember some people just being like. Like, well, why are we doing it this way kind of thing? And obviously it paid off. And now looking back and going through everything I know and, and stuff like that and seeing what I've seen throughout my career, like you don't, and we talk about this all the time, you don't really know what you don't know until you get to the higher levels, until you're exposed to the higher levels. You know, you learn more in college than you did in juniors. You learn more in pro than you did in college and up and up the chain. The more years you play pro, the more you learn. You play in the NHL versus AHL, you learn even more. It's like stuff like that. So these guys, they have so much knowledge that you really, unfortunately, don't get to pick up on these little tiny idiosyncrasies of the game unless you're exposed to the higher level of player and the higher level of thinkers, the higher level of coaches, GMs, etc. So... 
I remember some people being like, you know, they just want to take over. And now like looking back, obviously, and, and now being a former pro and coming back and some parents have kind of been, why are we doing it this way? And I'm like, trust me, like, this is why, like, this might, you know, it's kind of like us talking about how important it is to focus on little details in practice. And while everyone else might be preaching, like, play fast, play fast, play fast, no board time in practice. Well, like, I'm like, well, okay, that's great, but you got to teach the kids how to do it, why to do it, not just the what. And so I think that's maybe something I learned more from being a pro. Um, and, and so that's like the difference. So like they bring these little tiny things that maybe seem like nothing, but are actually a really big thing. And they knew it. And obviously our organization changed. I mean, everyone knows that St. Louis had six or seven first rounders a few years ago and kids are getting drafted left and right. When I came out, there was barely any college commitments. And now we have probably one of the highest percentages of division one commitments in the U S I would guess, or at least top five, top 10. So based on population yeah. for sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Based on percentages. I mean, it's, it's definitely a big difference. And, and we owe a lot to all of those guys who came back and put in the time and the effort. Yeah, for sure. It is one of those things. Like I'm a big believer that you don't have to have played to be able to coach. Like if you're passionate yeah. about learning and um, you know, open to new things and you can communicate well, you can certainly be a good coach without having played, but just having gone through it, just like you said, the things that you learn and it's a lot of the little things and it's a lot of the mindset things too. Yep. That's it. Yeah. Because they know what it takes. They, but anybody can, I don't know if you can say anybody can know what it takes, but like to actually have felt the grind, to actually have felt the ups and downs, to have actually felt the waking up at 6 a.m. and the sacrifice. I mean, that, there's so much that goes along with that. And when you're able to talk about personal experiences, like I think story is one of the best ways to communicate and persuade people and to get them to buy in. And when you're talking about personal stories, hey, this is what I did and this is how I got to where I got to. Like, I just think it creates such a better avenue to, to buy in because like you're, you're talking about it from personal experience. And when you do that, it just, it, it holds a little bit more water. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. I mean, and again, I agree with you. You don't have to have played to have coach. It's just, you know, all these little things. And then you probably, not probably, you definitely get more buy-in, especially from the older kids. If you have a coach who never played or you have Al McKinnis telling you to do two separate things. What is the kid going to do? Probably what Al McKinnis is telling you versus a coach who never played, whether that's right or wrong or indifferent, whatever. But like, they just, it, it, it's a big difference. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. One of the things I loved about Brian, because he's really passionate about this stuff and it was awesome getting the chance to talk to him. Again, you're talking about somebody who's uh, a fourth overall draft pick and we got into some of the tougher times, you know, that he had and some of the good times as well. And a lot of the things that he learned along the way that he's brought to now he's living in Southern California, which so many pros do nowadays because it's Southern California. <laughs> um, but uh, it was great to get him on to, to share his experiences with his kids. Um, and one of the things that we talked about that I thought was a really interesting kind of back and forth was like the importance of like peers coaching each other and encouraging peers coaching each other. I think he called it peer review and like how the best way to learn something is to actually teach it to somebody else. And I've, I've actually read a lot about that and that is for sure the, the, I don't, I don't know what the best way to say it is, but it's like the way that we do that, it just sticks with our brains a little bit better when we're able to actually teach it and communicate it with somebody. So just a really interesting back and forth that I think the listeners are going to get a lot out of. Yeah. And I love that he said that because 
I do that stuff in the gym all the time when I started noticing the difference. Like I'll take a kid who's really good at it, at something I'm trying to teach the boys and have him teach it to the group. Hey, everybody watch Cam, Cam, show everybody what you're doing and explain it. I'll also go to the guy who doesn't understand it and have him explain it to everybody because then he will get it more when he has to talk it out. And then his, his friends in the group can also help him with, Oh, don't forget this. Don't forget chest up. Don't forget blah, blah, blah. You know, so I've definitely seen that working uh, over and over and over again in the last nine years. So I, I completely agree. I think that's really cool. Yeah, for sure. And Tom Crean, who used to be the head coach of Indiana basketball, I think he's in Georgia right now. He was really good. Like one of the things that I heard him talk about, and he's one of the most decorated college basketball coaches. He talked about how like when he's coaching in practice, a lot of times what he'll do is like he'll stop a play. And when he's about to go and coach, all the players that are off to the side are playing on the bench. They'll, he'll be like, hey, what did you see about what happened on the court right here? And then like, he'll like call somebody out just to make sure that they're engaged and watching in practice instead of just like kind of floating off into the clouds. And so it's just really interesting how much he invested into like their guys coaching each other. And yeah, I just, there's so much value to that. I think you can pick up and learn so many different things. And also when you have players who are engaged in practice, it's kind of like teaching them how to focus and it's a great learning experience. I just thought that I I meant to say that on the podcast when we were talking about it, but the, uh, the thought evaded me (laughs) as we kept going and talking. Um, but as we, just kind of started talking about it right now. I remembered it and it was just really interesting. And I've tried to use that a few times with, with my players. And it's so funny because it catches them so off guard. Like, Hey, what did you see out there? What could this person have done better? And they're like, uh, worked harder. (laughs) I love that. I I had so many coaches at the higher levels from probably juniors through different coaches and pro that, that would always, you know, to the younger guys who are goofing around on the bench, like if you're play, doing a scrimmage, you know, look over at the bench and guys aren't paying attention. Like you have to watch, like watch, because when I blow it dead, I'm going to explain why and you guys need to know so you don't make the same mistake twice. It's kind of the same idea as the second kid in line in a drill who messes up after the first kid did it right. And you're like, what, how did you mess that up? Just watch the guy in front of you. Learn from what he's doing and, and be better. There's like nothing more aggravating as a coach when the second or third guy in line messes up. You're like, you're at the end of the line for a reason. Like, pay attention, do it right. Do it right. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. It's, or like, yeah, when the, it is funny when that second or third or fourth person goes and you just know right from the start when they're kind of looking around and they're like, <laughs> <laughs> you know that look. <laughs> yeah, oh, this oh, isn't going to be guy before. I've been that guy a couple times. Yeah. I'm like, some of those drills some coaches would write up, they'd be like ridiculous. And our coach in juniors, he would write four when he wanted to bag us, which bagging is, I think it's ridiculous. But when he wanted to bag us, he'd come in on a Monday and he'd write out four to five drills. And you had to remember all of them. And then we'd do a drill for like five, six, seven minutes, then go to the next drill, five, six, seven, and then the next drill. And, then the ne- and you had to remember all of them and do every detail perfectly of each drill. And that was intense. Like, like, and he'd make ones that were like out of control so that we would mess up. So he'd have a reason to bag us. And like guys in line are talking to each other. What's the next one? What's the next one? What are we doing? What are we doing? And it's yeah. so funny. Yeah, I had uh, one of our players when I was at Cornell, he uh, went to the Detroit, Detroit Red Wings rookie camp and he was talking about how Babcock would do something similar when he was coaching in Detroit, how like he would draw a bunch of stuff up on the board and his his thing was like, you want to be an NHL player? You better get this. Let's go. And then like 
you were expected. It was almost like a test to the players right. of the hockey yeah. team and their recall. It's like, all right, you like NHL guys get this. You want to get this here. It is on the board. Let's get it done. Let's see who can do it. You know, yeah. it's just, uh, it is. Let me ask you this as we're talking about this true or false. There is a difference in the way as a coach, you view a player who's always first in line to start drills versus the players who always go to the back of line and drills. True. Like over and over and over again, like over the course of a season, a hundred percent true, hundred percent true. I yeah. love the guys who want to go first. I absolutely yeah. love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Just like thinking about this, I, I look back and I always kind of see the players who are always in the, you know, one or two, uh, one or two of the line to start drills. It's like, they want to get, it's like, they want the, they want the reps. They want more yeah. reps. They, you know, they're, they're comfortable in being the first player in line. And it's just uh, for all the kids out there. Like, I think that's something as you get to the higher levels, that's something coaches notice for sure. Oh, not even, I think I know I'm 100% know. And I would guess you were that guy. I know I was that guy every, every single drill. And I had a couple guys on the team where we'd bat, we'd be in the corner, like, pushing each other. I'm going first. No, I'm going first. Like other guys who, who were like me that were like, I really want to be a hockey player. So, uh, I love that stuff. Were you, were you, were you, a, you were definitely a guy from the line. I think so. I mean, I don't really remember, but I, really? I think so. Yeah. Oh, I a hundred percent remember. I also remember every single goal I ever scored from like real hockey on. So oh, my wife gives me so much crap about that. Like I can't, I can't remember where my wallet or my keys are, but I can remember like what play <laughs> I made in August 15th of 2002 in the junior game. 100%. That's great. That's great. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, well uh, let's get over to Brian before we do get over to Brian. Um, first of all, I want to say thank you to everybody who has purchased our parent survival guide. Uh, and has given us feedback. We've gotten so much good feedback from that. So um, go to the hockey think tank.com. If you're a parent and you're just looking for some more information um, and how to de-stress about the whole youth hockey process. Uh, so it's the parent survival guide, 12 different topics. Jeff is on one where we talk about off ice, but we go through everything from, you know, parent coach communication to how important the car ride is home to the, uh, you know, the importance, uh, later on in your career of some things to talk about, like advisors and the path to college hockey and junior hockey, which is questions that Jeff and I get all the time. So it's a parent survival guide. Uh, it's, it's 20 bucks. Use the, use the coupon code hockey and you get five dollars off to get 20 bucks um so thank you for all of your support for that we really really appreciate it um you just again go to the hockeythinktank.com click on the parents tab and uh and you can go and grab that uh thank you to gel sticks our title sponsor awesome awesome weighted training sticks and uh everybody who knows the podcast and has listened you know the drill <laughs> g-e-l-s-t-x.com use the coupon code think tank one word to get a little bit of a discount off your weighted training sticks vex you want to say thank you to our boys over at train heroic yeah i just want to say thanks to uh josh and, and the other guys over at train heroic cleanest training app in the game it's what i use with my 700 plus online clients from all over the world the tri-city storm in the ushl who i'm the strength coach for this season, they're all. I'm training them remotely, all online. Uh, Boston Junior Rangers um, worked with uh, Timmins Rock and the Nojay, and then obviously all the people who just buy my stuff online and want to train with me online. So thank you to Train Heroic. I really appreciate that. Anybody has any questions, just DM me on my Instagram. The other guys I want to thank are is Humble Hockey. They're the ones who. Uh, I partnered with to come out with my own GMBM clothing line, which stands for give more, be more. 
Uh, I've got that all over my gym. All my guys wear the bracelets. I got it tattooed on me. Christmas is coming around the corner, so I just wanted to throw that out there for all of you who like listening to us. Uh, Tope's got a great red GMBM under the radar hoodie I sent him that he wears almost every uh, podcast we do, so that always makes me happy. But if you're looking for cool clothing uh, with a message, just Google GMBM apparel and you'll find it with uh, my guys over at Humble Hockey. I appreciate you guys supporting it. Yes, sir. And we appreciate all of our supporters and all our listeners uh, with this podcast. I think you're really going to enjoy this one with Brian Allen. Really, really, really passionate youth hockey guy who, again, like we said, fourth overall draft pick in 1998, over 700 games in the NHL. And thank you so much for supporting our podcast. If you can, uh, if you think of what we're doing as a good service to the hockey world, continue to help share us and, and spread us on social media, tag us on your social media posts, um, and uh, share it with your parent groups, your, your players. If you think that this is something that's going to help them out with their career, shoot us ratings and reviews on iTunes and Apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcast today. And now without further ado, here is an awesome conversation with Brian Allen. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast Oh, all the way from sunny Southern California. We got Brian Allen. Brian, how you doing today? I'm doing good, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And uh, we're really excited to get the chance to talk some hockey with you here today. But uh, first, obviously, want to take it way back with like we do with all of our guests. And you actually are not the first guest we've had from Kingston, Ontario. We had uh, a one Jana Hefford on here a little bit ago. Who, oh, yeah. Uh, She's uh, she's one of the more big time guests that we've had, and uh, she's she's awesome. So it was great getting her on here. But uh, you know, Kingston, Ontario, home of a lot of NHL players, uh, a lot of really good hockey players. And so, uh, what was it like growing up in Kingston, and and how did that allow you to fall in love with this great game of hockey? Uh, you know, Kingston's uh, uh, it obviously holds a special place in my heart, but it it is pretty um, unique or crazy. Um, you know, the product that has Kingston has produced for hockey players. Uh, obviously, you know, even Jana Hefford and, and uh, what she's done for the sport, not only for herself and, and uh, the accolades that she's gotten, but, but just how she's continuing to, to grow the game and grow the sport, especially for women, I think it's great. Um, but I think growing up, you know, it was a typical Canadian town. And, and it's funny when you talk about it with people here in California, it's a little bit, well, it's totally different. Um, you know, here in California, there's such an opportunity to play every sport year round. And you really have to almost seek it or be introduced to it somehow to get that love for the game here in California. So I've, I've enjoyed kind of um, trying to do that here with the youth hockey uh, in Southern California. But um, growing up again in Canada, it, it, it was one of those things that, as any Canadian kid, it was, you know, especially, you know, maybe it's changed a little bit now with the indoor soccer stadiums and whatnot. But when it was winter, you had no choice but to play outside and, and skating was one of them. So you started with skating and, and everyone played hockey. Everyone watched Hockey Night in Canada and it was just part of the culture. Um, but again, I think being uh, from Kingston and some of the you know, the Kirk Muller and, and Doug Gilmore's of the world that sort of paved the way for us and, and gave us that uh, realization or dream that we could maybe one day be like one of them. So um, I think it starts there of just being introduced to the game, falling in love with it, 
and then and then really having the dream yeah for sure do you see that because like now you're living in southern california and you're you're like the doug gilmore and you're like the kirk muller and the jana hefford now that people are looking to because typically southern california hasn't had a ton of people i mean a lot of nhl guys are certainly (laughs) living there now because of uh just the, the quality of life and everything like that but you know coming from your experience from kingston and looking up to those people do you kind of see it as your responsibility now to um promote the the goodness let's call it of what hockey can bring to the people coming up in in the area that you're living in yeah i i don't i i would definitely not use it as a responsibility i think it's more of a you know desire um because i had such a good experience with you know uh my minor hockey my my moments in youth hockey and realizing as I'm older now and, and I've gone through an NHL career of all of the qualities and intangible things that I was able to sort of acquire and, and gain um, through my experiences of, you know, right through to the end of my NHL career. But, um, y- you know, I, I think there is an opportunity to be able to give a different message of, um, you know, there's uh, youth sports in general, I think it's such a turned into such a business that, um, you know, it's, it's hard to kind of separate things for some people sometimes of where's the business and where's the, the love of the game, the, the doing the right thing. And, you know, you use the word goodness. It's hard to really um, maybe articulate the proper um, word you want to use to, um, for me to explain like all the, all, all the good things that can come from youth sports and, and then, with hockey in particular, obviously I'm biased to it, but it's, um, you know, all the um, values um, and uh, unspoken things that come along with the uh, way a hockey player is, I think are things that I want to teach and pass along to um, kids here in, in Southern California. And then again, I have a son that's uh, on his own, um, has taken a love to the game and I'm trying to, uh, leverage the sport and maybe my experience of teaching him some of those life lessons of, you know, hard work and dedication and um, desire to, to be good at something. That's, that's awesome. Like I want to, I want to keep going with that because I feel like a lot of the questions that I get from parents and even specifically parents that have played at a higher level, maybe not the NHL, but who kind of get hockey is they're, they're, they're stuck between like, they're trying to figure out what's the best way to get my kid passionate about the sport, but also they all find this desire to want to push their kids too. You know, they want to challenge them because nothing great ever came from the comfort zone and it's good to push kids to a certain extent and stuff like that. So like finding that balance between, you know, the fun aspect, maybe if that's what you want to call it versus like the challenge, like what would you say as a hockey dad and as somebody who's had a, a really great NHL career and knows a lot about the game, what kind of advice would you maybe give to parents when it comes to that dichotomy between, you know, the, the push and the challenge versus the, uh, you know, the, the, the fun and, and support. Yeah, it, it's a great question. And, and I get that, um, you know, probably same question, maybe not as direct, um, but, or maybe even indirectly, I want to give it um, because it is a really hard, um, a really hard thing to balance. 
you know, you have parents on one side that hopefully, uh, you know, most parents have the right intentions, have, you know, good intentions of what they want as their kid. I think um, you're right in the fact that uh, every kid needs to be pushed. Every kid needs to be pushed to a certain level, but you've got to be careful of, of, you know, kind of two things that come to mind is, is pushing them too much and wanting it more than the kid. Um, so, I, and I struggle with that, you know, with my own kid, because, you know, I'm sitting there thinking like, why isn't he doing extra? Why isn't he realizing that, you know, if he does something, does stick handling or, or workout or whatever, that he's going to get better and, and improve at the game. And that's, I think ultimately becomes that much more fun. Um, but I try to take a step back and realize that a couple of different things. One, it's a different time, a different world, um, that there's so much more at their fingertips, you know, with iPads and um, just access to other things, right? When we were kids, it was, I, we didn't have internet. So <laughs> um, there's just so <laughs> much more time that, to figure it out. Oh, right? <laughs> man, exactly. You, you were you know, forced to be bored and figure out what to do on your own. But so I think there's, you know, a different, it's a, just a different time that you've got to be cognizant of. But um, way I try to approach it um, as a parent is, you know, one is that you, uh, you know, if any, either of my kids sign up for something, they are committed to it. Um, and I've said, you know, whether it's hockey or, my daughter playing volleyball or basketball or, or my son in another sport. It's, um, if you sign up for it, you play for the year, um, and you commit to it. Um, but then if you don't like it at the end of the season, then we don't do it again, but they do have to pick a different sport to try the next year, next season. Um, and I do try to keep it, um, balanced in that it, they don't just do one sport. Um, I think, you know, the cross athlete, um, athleticism is, is imperative for their development as a kid, even if it is for a particular sport that they're trying to achieve. Um, but finding that balance is hard. Um, I find it's almost a little bit of mind games with my son or daughter of, well, you know, if you're not doing it, somebody else is. You, you know, what are you frustrated at? What do you want to get better at? And try to put it onto their, um, their shoulders of, do you want to get better? You know, if, if you're frustrated in a certain thing, your only way you're going to get better is if you practice, if you do stuff outside of what, um, you know, just your practices. Um, so I think, you know, for me, really the, um, I don't know, maybe the light switch going on for them is when they can sort of commit to something, you know, one specific skill and, and try to improve on it and, and maybe set a challenge. Maybe you give them a goal. Maybe you incentivize them somehow because, uh, you know, whoever says they don't bribe their kids is probably not a parent, but because um, <laughs> <laughs> I definitely use it, you know, and, and there's certain things and you want them to try to get a little bit motivated um, and, and you got to be creative um, to, to get better at something. So say if they're, um, their shot. Um, and, and you do it for a couple of weeks and, and hopefully they see an improvement and then, you know, it's not a long time, but after that short period of time, they see improvement. And I'm hoping that, you know, that light switch moment is like, wow, if I 
put a little bit extra effort in, if I put some time into maybe a specific thing, I'm seeing improvement, I see results. And hopefully that light switch goes off and it's like, wow, if I put some extra time and effort into a certain thing, um, I get better at it. And again, going back to those life lessons, life skills, it's like that applies to anything in life. Um, but I can't do that with their, you know, school homework or, or you know, most things in life. So here's something that hopefully they love, they want to do, and they put some extra time and effort into one thing and they see that improvement. And it's like, wow, you know, if I keep working at this, I'm going to get better. If I want to get better at this, now I got to do this to get better. So it's little, little things to motivate them. Um, but I think it ends up getting lost when there's too much pressure. There's too much expectation. There's more want from the parent than there is from the kid. The kid, you're, I think, you know, kind of two phrases. It's like the, the moment that the parent wants more than the kid, you've lost the kid. And the other one is for, for, for kids in new sports, it's, it's a, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Um, you know, my son didn't start playing until he was seven and kind of maybe behind where other kids might have been in the development curve um, when they started skating at three or maybe where I was, but he's had to work harder to get, to try to catch up. And I think there's a lot more being served for him not being the best player always, not, um, you know, almost being bored of the game because he's too good at it. You know, I think there, there needs to be that balance of uh, improvement push um, that the kid has to recognize on their own. Um, so it's, it's a tough question. And it's, you know, most parents um, mean well, and they, we all want what's best for our kids. But if you push them or put too much expectations on them, you're going to push them away from it. Yeah, I think you said something super important there that is something I've noticed from from my childhood. I, I know you're in 1980 birth here. Tolf and I are, are 85, so we're a little younger than you. Um, but uh, when we were younger, I felt like there was so much placed on a kid making a commitment. And now, so like if a kid says he's going to play on a team and then he winds up being the 12th forward in the middle of the year, parents made their kids stick it out, you know, work harder. You know, you made that commitment. And I feel like now I hear so much about kids quitting teams midseason. Obviously, there's some certain situations where it would make sense to do that. But I think those are more of the outliers. And I think forcing force making a kid honor their commitment and learn that is a big thing like we were talking about in the pre-show and talking about now teaching kids life lessons to stick things out when you commit to something you do it you see it through you get better all yeah. those things that's something that serves you later in life and then something you were talking about there towards the end of that was uh you know parents pushing their kids and i own a training company and train pros down to teenagers and something that I've noticed is that, and Toph and I talk about this all the time, is, is positively giving positive affirmations, giving positive feedback. And it doesn't mean going over the top and just only, you know, sunshines and rainbows and stuff like that. But like you said, you wanted your son to work on a shot. So you helped him to work on a shot for a couple of weeks. If you go to your son or any parent to their kid after they notice that they're working on something over and over and just genuinely, wow, your shot's gotten way harder. Have you been practicing? Even though you as the parent know they've been practicing, even if you don't think their shots gotten harder, yeah. but if you know they've been putting in the time, if you say that 
it goes so far in the child's mind in, in an NHL player's mind. I'll say that to them in the gym, man, like you, you know, your, you, your body, you look way tighter. Maybe they don't look tighter. Maybe I know they had okay. three beers last night and they've been eating hot dogs all week, <laughs> but I say that it immediately motivates them. They get excited. Someone else has noticed their hard work is paying off, which then they get more excited and in getting into their more development, their own development. And then they want to work harder. So like just a positive word here or there affirming a kid, like it goes so far. And parents are always asking me, how do I motivate my son? How do I get him to do more? How do I do this? Well, do give that little extra push. You know, why don't you work on your shop for 10 minutes a night and then wait three or four days and Hey, Johnny, your shock get harder they will love it and then they get excited and, and want to develop more yeah yeah i agree 100 percent. i think there is that that is the balance of trying to motivate push our kids because you you encourage them to do something and if they do it you've got to let them know how proud of them you are um you know because there's not one person in this world that doesn't like positive affirmation um, and I agree that people want to be recognized for efforts that they have, you know, and, and they don't have to be the three goals. They don't have to be, you know, the first star. Um, I think that, that, you know, that's the uniqueness of a team that different kids can bring different skills. And, and I think it's, you know, probably more responsibility of a coach to recognize that, but you know, even as a parent to recognize, um, you know, positive things that they do in a game. And that creates the, the love, the passion, because kids want us to be proud of them. They want to feel love. They want that, that positive affirmation. And if they get that and know that, you know, they don't have to be the top goal scorer or whatever it is, they're, 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 they're getting that, they're developing that love of whatever they're doing. Um, and, they sh- and then going back. Sorry, I was go just going to jump in there and I was going to say, because Tolf and I have talked about this multiple times. I, I all the time want parents to praise their kid for not just the goals. Like it's Johnny scores three goals all the time. Don't always praise him for the goals. Praise him for that one back check he made. Cause now what's yeah, he going to do? Exactly. He's gonna back check more or praise yeah. him for being a good teammate and having good body language. Cause those are the yeah. things that he needs to really keep doing. Cause sooner or later, unless you're Sidney Crosby, you're not going to score every single game. You know, Alex Ovechkin, but if yeah. you focus on, positive affirmations for the little things what are they going to start doing more of the little things yeah it's the positive affirmation in areas that they need improvement on you know Sidney Crosby even if he was only a goal scorer he wouldn't be Sidney Crosby Um, you can look at Sidney Crosby's game and look at all of the um, you know things that probably get unrecognized or not talked about enough of how well he does in the game. He is a great goal scorer and great playmaker, but he is also a, a great centerman. He, he's, he's great in his own zone. Like he, he's uh, responsible. So there's, there's things that you need to give positive affirmation. I think in, on the areas that either a coach or parent maybe thinks they need to work on, or they can be better at. Um, Cause again, yeah, they're going to feed off that. Yeah, this one of the books that I read, it really changed my view of of how I coach because I feel like you like for everybody, like we coach the way that we were coached for the most part. Like that's how we learned how to yeah. kind of do it. So when I 
first got into coaching, you know, I was, we always had kind of like strict disciplinary and hard ass type coaches. So that's naturally yeah. kind of what I tried to do and, and didn't work because it doesn't necessarily fit my personality. And I ended up reading this book and I wish I remembered the name of the darn book. But, um, one of the things that the author said in it, in it was catch them doing something right. So as coaches, a lot of times as we're watching a practice or we're watching a game, we see a lot of the mistakes that are happening or we see some of the things that we'd like to see fixed. And that's typically what we communicate with our players. And so when I read that, I was like, wow, that makes a lot of sense. And now, like, rather than looking for the mistakes, you look for little things that the kids are doing right. Maybe it's a little effort play. Maybe it's a little nice play off the wall and we, whatever it is. And then you, you communicate and you do that positive affirmation. So you're actually, you know, um, consciously looking for the good rather than yeah. looking for the mistakes. And it really kind of like flipped the switch in my head about what I wanted to be as a coach. And Jeff's laughing at me right now. I think it's because of my hand gestures. I don't know, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, luckily the podcast people can't hear, uh, can't see that. Um, but I feel like it really kind of changed the way that I perceive what a coach should be doing and how they should be looking at things on the ice. Like, is that something that you kind of take to heart or is that something like a way that you would have liked to be coached, you know, back when you were playing as well? Uh, Yes, definitely. Many times, <laughs> um, you, you know, uh, I've never really, you know, I've only started coaching. This is really only the second year, and even last year, I kind of just helped out. Um, this year, even though it's there is no real team, I've kind of made up my own little team just for fun. Um, that, you know, I try to think about how, you know, I want to coach. How? What message am I trying to send? how do I want, you know, to be perceived or, or things I want to teach them and, and then to learn. And I try to think of my own personality and I try to think of my experiences and, but then also, you know, how times have changed, how people are different, how kids are different, how environments are different. Um, um, it, it, it's tough. Um, but I would say that, you know, even we've not really played games, I would say, um, but I would think during games is not a time to coach. Um, and I say that for the fact of like these kids are, you know, they practice and they do all these skills and, and puck time, kick time and whatever. They're doing enough of that where there's teaching moments. And then in practice, you have the teaching moments and, and skills and, and, you know, things you want to develop and, and be able to work on. I think I, at game time is a time for the coach to maybe recognize, okay, well, I didn't like that or this could be better or there's that moment. That's what we're going to work on in practice. But I don't need to tell the kid every time he comes off the ice what he's done wrong or he needs to do this or that, unless it's like a very basic thing that they can understand. These kids, like, they're not going to remember it. That's not a moment to try to teach them um, I think that's a moment for for them to feel to, that, that they're having fun, that they're getting that praise, you know, um, encouragement, celebrating, you know, a goal or, you know, a, getting in out of the zone or, you know, little plays that you can tell um, they did the right thing or they made a big effort or, you know, something maybe you've taught in practices previously that you can – you know, give that positive affirmation of like what was done right. I think there, there's too much coaching 
during a game. Um, you know, I think, you know, when you get to the NHL level, there you don't coach um, really during a game. You know, there's, there's moments, you know, I even remember like, you know, you make a bad play and you pass up the middle and they go in the score and you come back to the bench and the coach yells at you. You're like, yeah, I know I'm not supposed to do that. And I always hated how a coach would give me, it was almost like a sarcastic comment to me and it would just piss me off, you know, and maybe they had their own motivations of how they were trying to motivate me. But I think that's, you know, the coaching that gets um, used probably in the NHL is more about mind games and motivation and, and that's what it's about, but it's, it's a different level and way more on a line than what's at the youth level. I think at the youth level, you don't need to point out mistakes and constantly correct them and constantly try to teach them. You know, I think that's where coaches sometimes get lost because those aren't the moments you you're not going to teach a kid those certain things and and you're going to make it harder. I think there's, you know, as they get older, maybe there, there are moments where you have to hold kids accountable and, and make them recognize like that's not acceptable um at my age right now at nine that's not the time i i don't think any kid needs to know that if anything they make a mistake you try to pick them back up um so i think you know the less coaching during games is is probably better and get them to enjoy it get them to have fun get them to look forward to those games and and that is their um i don't know uh what their treat their dessert for all their all their practice and, and, and stick times and maybe shooting that puck. So, even, you know, I, I think that's what you got to do more. So, especially at nine, like no doubt about yeah. it. And, and as you get older, so I coached my first year being finished with playing, I coached U uh, 18 midget major triple a. And then last year I coached U 16. And I think you could do a little more coaching there, but what I found and I, it's the same as you. I made a lot of mistakes. And, you know, it's never fun coming back to the bench, especially when you're a pro or college or junior, older, higher levels. You know when you made the mistake. And then the coach gets in your, all right, I get it, yeah. Uh, but when they're younger, what I found is if it's, if it's like kind of like a medium-level mistake, asking the player, hey, what did you see there? And they know. And then you kind of talk it through real quick. I think that, at least if you're trying to coach in a game, instead of them coming back and be like, why did you do that? Okay, like yeah. you see that you see the life and the energy just sucked out of the kid, and then they're yeah. just kind of like, ugh. But if you're gonna try and make it a coach more, like, hey, like tell me what happened. What did you see there? And then maybe they say this, and you're like, well, this is what I saw. Like, you know, talk about it real quick, and then all right, we'll talk about it after the game. Or hey, I want to talk to you in between periods about that play. Yeah. That kind of thing at the uh, you know 14, 15, 16, and if it's a serious level, if you're coaching you know kids who are there to just have fun, that's obviously an even different you know level of coaching where maybe it's even less of that. I think. Yeah, yeah, and that's the other thing that I've tried to get kids to do um, is almost teach it back to me. Yeah, uh, you know yeah. we're at the very basic level of where do you go in your D zone coverage. Um, and I'll get each kid, you know, at different times to say, come up and, and explain, you know, as you come back in the zone, where does the D go? Where does the other D go? And have them be able to describe. So I, I think it translates to, you know, I, I've heard or read or I don't know. It's like when you're able to teach something is when you know it. And I think that's a great 
tool to use during the game to try to coach something where they can sort of describe it and might be able to retain that information of like remembering, well, you know, I did this, but I probably should have done this. And that's why it happened. So I think for them being able to try to teach it back to you of what is the correct way or what I should have done is, is a great way for them to try to retain that information. For sure. What is the saying? It's like, give, give a man a fish and he eats for a day, teach a man to fish and he eats for the rest of his life kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And even, even in teaching principles and leadership principles, I mean, that's something that I've heard and read a ton is that, you know, in order, if you want to really master a a subject, being able to communicate it yourself, just like what you're saying, I love that. Teach it back to me. I think that's such an awesome thing. And one of the things like with uh, like kind of going along with what we're talking about that I've kind of recognized is that like, I've, I've always tried to, especially at the youth levels, like when I am being vocal, like the more, I feel like the more the coach is vocal, the less the players are going to be vocal. You know what I mean? Like, and, and a team cannot get their energy from the coach. The team kind of has to get their energy from each other. So like one of the things that I try to emphasize is like for the kids to kind of coach each other. Like I'm always talking to them about, Hey, after you come back from a shift, you should talk as a line. You should talk about like the things that happen and and kind of go through and get on the same page and things. And, and I feel like that's one thing I think coaches miss out on is that when the kids can teach each other and they're talking to each other, like they'll figure it out probably eight to nine times out of 10, what it was that you were going to tell them. And then it's just also so much more powerful when they're doing it from each other. Because like, I even had a conversation with a kid the other day where he comes back to the bench literally every time and he's looking at me for approval. And I'm like, stop it. (laughs) Stop. Like you don't need my, like if you did a good thing or if you did bad thing, like you have to be self-assured enough that you know what happened. You don't need me to say something to you. Like that's a, that's going to be a step in your development. And I feel like coaches shouldn't be the one always having to do the coaching on the bench. I don't know if that, does that make sense to you guys? Oh, definitely makes sense. And I know guys that right to the, uh, times in the NHL that they would something would happen and they would look to the bench and you know either good or bad like um, what is the coach you know looking for that approval or worried and constantly um, you know the reassurance from the coach I think you're right the the peer review is is sometimes the biggest um, influence um, and I, I agree, I, but I also, and, you know, I only have the experience of probably, you know, kids at nine and 10 right now, but I've encouraged it and want to, you know, trying to tell kids like when they're on the bench, like watch, watch these guys, try to think what you would do in that situation or how you could do it better or how that was done well. Um, but I think you've got to, as a coach, stay very close to those conversations because, you've got to teach them how to talk to each other properly. Um, you know, cause there is the, you know, um, it might, the, like one kid might want to say a certain thing that's trying to maybe be peer review, but it does not come out like peer review <laughs> and it's totally, you know, breaking a kid down. And, you know, that's one of the big messages I have that, um, if, if you're, uh, giving advice or, or helping a teammate, it's got to be um, in a positive way. Um, there's too many kids that want to point out what a kid did wrong. Um, 
that the kids are not good enough at this, or you're always doing this, or, or so there's too much, um, uh, I don't know, just review and, and can, you know, really influence the kid's psyche is that, uh, I, I'm not a good skater. I'm, I can't help, I can't pass or whatever it is, a certain thing that they, um, they probably already feel self-conscious of because he might not be as good of a skater or as good as a passer or good of a shooter, whatever it is that they probably already know that. But then if they have their peers, which, you know, is a huge thing to develop a peer review, but it's got to be done in a positive way and an encouraging way. So that's a, you know, big thing that I'm trying to follow and watch because um, that's the respect that I, I demand from these kids to give to each other. You know, they all develop at different stages, different levels, and they all have their good things that they bring to the table. And, and um, they might, going back to the positive affirmation, they might not be as recognized as some of the goal scoring skills or the shooting skills or ones that think that everyone thinks are, are the best. That's real. I a hundred percent agree with both of you. And it's so funny. The world is funny. Like the, the energies and the thoughts you put out there because Twitter yesterday, um, Mike McKenzie, who works with the OHL Rangers, he tweeted something that I liked that it's, I just looked it up. It says peer to peer role models or leaders can be so influential and often underrated leaders create leaders. It's like literally exactly what we're talking about yeah, here today. Exactly. Um, you know, I, Toph and I were both captains on most of the, the, the teams we played on and something that I love to do as a captain, I like empowering people is I would, I would always work with like the rookies or the youngest guys. And if they did something well in practice, I would always go over to them and tell them and always point out them doing the right things. Almost rarely ever would I point out the wrong things. Cause me as a peer, I felt it wasn't my job to do that. And as a coach now, and I've seen kind of kids come back to the bench and, you know, kind of dagger a kid or whatever. Like I immediately lose it. I'm like, absolutely not. Like coach's job is to tell you when you do something wrong, you know, and right, obviously, but that's my job. Like your job is to pick your teammates back up after a mistake. Your job is to pump your teammates tires when they do things right. Because coming from a peer, from a teammate, from a friend, from a brother, like that's, there's nothing more exciting. There's nothing better than when your buddies, the guys you go to battle with, tell you that you did a good job or they notice that tiny little thing you did, a little pick that allowed the goal. You didn't even get an assist. You, you just made a pick. You got in somebody's way, but you took the effort to do that. So for some of your teammate to notice that little tiny thing is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, I agree because it's like even, you know, in these kids' games, it's um, – uh, we played in the weekend and it was like, you know, one kid had scored a couple goals, but there was, you know, a play that happened in our end and it was like, he just got it out of the zone. And of course the kid that came back to the bench was like that, or the group came back to the bench and the kid who scored got all the accolades. And then when they came off the ice and I went to the one kid that just made that little chip out of the zone and being like, Hey, we don't score that goal. If you don't tip that pocket there, that was a great play. Like that was awesome. Like giving, you know, again, that praise in, in certain areas. So, but I hear, I say it, so all the kids can hear it, you know, and there's where I hope that positive affirmation goes into the small details of playing the right way all the time. I think, I think you and Jeff just became best friends with that statement. <laughs> I know. I know. And that's why I love coming on, you know, because you guys are, are giving such a great message and, and trying to, sometimes change the narrative or help guide a narrative um, 
of maybe a better way to do it, you know? And again, I think most people have good intentions. Um, obviously there's people out there that, you know, and that's a hard part too, is this, um, uh, use for it because it is such a business. And I think I've seen or hear about, um, you know, certain coaches that they're, I don't know if they're totally in it for the kids and as the kids as a whole, um, you hear certain coaches like, you know, I really think they're trying to build their own resume. To, I don't know if they're trying to get to an NHL coach, but um, <laughs> they're, they're, they're losing the whole overall message of, of trying to help every kid. And they will focus on three or four kids that they think are the best kids. And these kids are young again. And you, again, <laughs> the whole message of like, it's a marathon, not a sprint that, you know, just because the kid might not be the best player today, he could very well, the kid that's not the best, if you give the kid that's maybe still developing the right message, he could end up turning out to be your NHL player one day. Um, so, you know, really being aware of that, that, you know, I think there's so much responsibility on a coach and, and it gets lost um, by their own motives is the really hard part for me do you think that like this is something i've been thinking about lately do you think that like higher the older teams triple a teams do you think they should screen their coaches more for kind of their coaching philosophy because like i have a, an old friend who's who's coaching and uh every time he was talking to me he's talking about like winning and this player we don't have this player anymore we don't have that player and i finally i was like dude shut up just make the kids better. Like you're talking so much and caring so much about winning. And yes, especially at, you know, midget hockey, you want to instill a winning attitude. You want that you, you have to, you have to teach the kids that like you want to win, but you as the coach also on the other side, without telling them like your job is to make every kid better. You're coaching youth hockey. Like yeah. I think, I feel like maybe more organizations need to, ask more coaches before they make them the head coach of U18, U16, 15. What's your coaching philosophy? Are you here to make the kids better? Or are you only here to win and play two lines the entire game? Like that stuff drives me nuts. It's you. Yeah, I agree. I, I think they're, you know, usually becomes too much of an importance on winning, you know, and that, that trickles down from the coach into the team of like, you know, cutting the bed short, um, you know, and, and doing too much to try to win a game where it's hurting uh, a, a, probably a bigger group of kids than it is helping a smaller group of kids. Um, I don't know how you would institute uh, a screening or a model um, to give the direction of a coach. Um, there's always going to be people that have their own motives and intent and think they have a better way. Um, but I, you know, I've heard of different uh, organizations trying to implement sort of a, you know, uh, one guy that is maybe, I don't know if USA Hockey could do it or, or you know, a model. Because there's a lot of models out there that help you um, try to develop practices and, and a message and, and everything like that. But once it, the coach gets in there, I don't know how much they follow it, but 
if you have sort of one person that their job is just to oversee the coaches and what kind of message they're giving and how they're giving their message. And that oversight would be huge because then he's sort of held accountable, you know, within club organizations and coaches. Once they're a coach and they're into their season, what kind of accountability do they have as a coach, right? You know, maybe their accountability is that they don't come back the next year, but in a youth sports and a kid's window, you could lose a kidney or, um, you know, in, in my whole I don't know, thought process is trying to grow the game and, and get everyone to love the game, you know, not trying to create NHL players, but creating people who love the game and, and can take all the values that, you know, I think we all uh, appreciate from the game into the rest of their lives and not try to just develop like a winning team or NHL players or get a scholarship. Um, you know, I think once you start putting as a coach or as a parent, putting those expectations on, you've lost it. You know, the, the, the dreams of getting a scholarship and, and playing the NHL, those are meant for the kids um, and the kids alone to have. But if the parents have those dreams, then they've, they've lost the kid, I think. They've lost yeah. their mind too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, it's crazy. My parents will do so I'm going to, this is, I'm, I'm getting so triggered right now, guys. Cause like I've been dealing with this stuff. Like I'm a hockey director right now. And like, I've been dealing with this stuff for the past four or five months or whatever. And it was interesting. So Vex, so Brian, like Vex and I did a thing where we did like a, a big talk for all the families for the long Island goals a couple months back. Um, and we invited a bunch of specific people on to kind of do interviews and, and things like that. And, um, one of the people who we got the chance to talk to was Callie Larson, who is the general manager of Dubuque in the USHL. And so we were talking because he's right around the same language wavelength of what we're talking about right now. And he actually sent Vex. I don't know if he sent it to you, but he certainly sent it to me, but he sent us, it, it goes along with what we were talking about and what you were talking about, Brian earlier about how like the best player at one point is probably not going to be the best player tomorrow. And so the USHL, for those who are listening that don't, really know the draft the ushl has two drafts a phase one draft and a phase two draft and the phase one draft this year was the 2004 birth dates uh, i think 2004 birth dates and so he sent me the statistics of the drafts from 2017 16 15 14 and 13 and of all of the kids that got drafted there were 649 players that got drafted only 225 of those players actually played more than 50 games in the USHL, right? Wow. That's f- less than 35% of the players yeah. who got drafted in the phase one draft actually played 50 games. So played a significant portion or a season in the USHL. And it just goes to show you like how stupid these like ranking reports websites are and how inexact of a science scouting is, especially at 14 years old, 15 years old. And it even goes down to like nine years old of of people that trying to, you know, play their best players and whatever. And, you know, so it's like that's 65% of the players playing like that got drafted, didn't even play 50 games, you know? So like, you got to try and develop everybody, you know, and the other side of it that I want to talk about too, is like, when it comes to like this whole winning thing, it ain't just the coaches. It's not just the coaches. It's the parents that really drive that bus. And it was interesting because as I was putting my team together this year and helping out with some of the other teams, you know, like not one parent asked for my plan for development. 
when I was talking to them about coming to play for my team. Every single, like, yeah. I shouldn't say every single conversation, but a vast majority of my conversations, the questions were, well, who's on the team and what league are we playing in? Who's on the yeah. team? What league are we playing in? Because yeah. my kid needs to get the exposure. And it it's like, guys, look at, look at, look at these numbers. Like, look at these numbers. We're talking about 15 year olds that get drafted. 35% of them actually pan out. That's it. Yeah. You know, so yeah. don't focus on the USHL draft. Don't focus on all the dumb things and showcases and stuff. I mean, some yeah. of them are good. Yeah. Like I'm not discrediting that winning is good and I'm not discrediting that games are important because I like, I think when people get into these conversations, it's like one way or the other, you should always practice or you should always play games. It's like, no, like you need a healthy dose of both, like, yeah. you know, s- structure versus freedom. Like you need a healthy dose. Like there's so many things that you need to find a, a, a common ground with, but like yeah. at the end of the day, I think people need to understand and recognize like the percentages of the people that actually play high level of hockey and how they're so significantly small. And, and also like, just like what we've been talking about, you play hockey for the life experiences that you get that you'll have with you for the rest of your life. So like being on an all-star team at 13 years old and your kid being told how good he is and recruited at that level, that is so bad for their development. It's terrible for their development. Like they need to have most of the people I'm sure that you've played with in the NHL, like a lot of them had to fight adversity and a lot of them, yeah. like, you know, like that stuff is really, really important and playing for good mentors, yeah. playing for good coaches and having parents that support and don't look out for like their own ego that, Hey, my kid made this team. So now I get to post oh, on Facebook. Big one that, right there. Yeah. Yeah. I get to post like, I can't go on Facebook anymore. I can't do it. I can't yeah. do it. All it is is a parent brag sesh. It's great to be proud yeah. of your kids. And I don't think there's anything wrong with doing that, but like, that's all I see. I feel like, yeah. and it's just, Oh my God, sorry for the rant here, but I know there's no, a lot in that, but you're, you're spot on. One thing I've noticed here in, in Southern California, which I, I find is crazy. There's no like boundaries for kids. So like when I grew up in Canada and Kingston, there was like, it, you had to live in a certain area and in that area you had a team and, that was the team you played for at whatever level it was. You had a tryout and every kid from the area tried out and you got slotted at what level you made it at. Um, here, there's you can play wherever you want. You can play for the Junior Kings one year. You can switch and go to the uh, Junior Ducks or they're the, our team is the Gold Rush. They can go wherever they want. So it's like there's too much choice for a parent. And again, going back, parents usually want the best for their kids. But they'll end up overthinking it. They'll end up overthinking like exactly what you said. Who's on the team? Who's the coach? What are they doing? Where are they going? What tournaments are they in? And instead of being, you know, put in a position that maybe they don't want, but it's probably what the kid needs. Um, You know, oh, I'm on the AAA team, but your kid doesn't play and he's not going to get better. You know, instead of, you know, my daughter actually went through this with her volleyball team. You know, she didn't make maybe the higher team. And I was kind of glad, um, you know, she's got a chance now to, you know, hopefully it's a self-motivation that she can develop to try to make the better team next year, but also a chance to get more probably playing time on a lower team to develop those skills that she needs. And she's 12. And, you know, there, so I think parents uh, overthink uh, the situation and then bring their own ego into it being like, Oh, well, Johnny's not on the the best team in this club. So I'm going to another club and he'll be on the best team there. 
um, you know, or think a certain coach is the right coach to be on. You know, I do think there is, um, uh, it's very important to have a good coach, but they don't know what they don't know. And sometimes I think probably more times than not in life, things happen for a reason. And, you know, if you don't make a certain team, there's probably a reason and something, you know, the, the hockey gods or whatever we want to call it, like it's putting you in a place that is probably better for your development. And instead of overthinking things and, and letting your ego get come into it, trying to use that moment as a life teaching lesson, you know, things aren't always fair. Things aren't always going to work out the way you want. Um, but how are you going to get through it? What are you going to do to, to challenge that, to maybe be pissed off and, and get a passion and, and desire to get better? So I think, you know, there's too much overthinking in, uh, on the parent's part. And it's, you know, again, it's probably just because they care so much. You know, it's not the slight parents all the time, um, but they have too much choice and, and too much, um, too much is out there that they, you know, on social media and whatnot, that they might get viewed a certain way. It's, it's kind of like when you hear about like super, super, super rich people and they have kids and their kids are drug addicts or they're degenerates. They don't amount to anything. They're not happy. They're given everything. They've had no adversity to build character. Uh-huh. I know Toph, uh, you know, he tore his ACL. I don't know if Toph ever got cut. Toph was gross when he was a kid. Uh, I definitely got cut. I, 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 yeah, well, I, I didn't know because you were, you were really gross. I got cut. I got hurt. All these things that built character, built passion, all these things. Brian, like, were you ever cut? Were you ever injured? Any, any, I'm sure you had to go through adversity to play 741 games in the NHL. Yeah. I mean, some of the, even though I was a high draft pick, um, uh, the game has changed a little bit in how, um, uh, sort of you come into the league. You sort of, you definitely had to earn your stripes a little bit more. Uh, but I was fourth overall, but, um, you know, coming into the league, uh, I had a chance to make it for a season. It didn't work out. And then came back the next year. In my first year that I was 19, I would have made it. I had uh, shoulder surgery and knee surgery. Like, you know, as soon as I was off crutches for my knee, I was in doing shoulder surgery. I was out for four months. And as a 19-year-old, they kind of kept me around, uh, which was great, but it was not easy. You know, I was taught early on of the dedication, the um the work that you had to put in to to make it and realizing how hard it was and I was called out constantly of like you know oh I, I'm still here with the NHL club team and you know it was just going to give be given to me and um you know I came back from that and the next two years I was basically I was sent I was sent them in the minors um I had to earn my way to get there um and then throughout my year just I was hurt multiple times uh um forget how many years I kind of established myself in the NHL, but I, I had another knee surgery uh, and I played two games and missed the rest of the year. But, you know, at that point, it was a little bit different motivation, even though I made it, it was like, wow, I don't want my career to end. And, you know, went back to those times of when I was hurt early on of, of what I had to do. And I, there would be no stone unturned uh, to try to get better. Um, you know, uh, I was taught 
interesting story in that year when I was 19, uh, a couple months into, you know, rehab and working hard, I was skating and, you know, thought I was, I was just, thought I was working hard, but I was kind of going through the emotions for a little bit because I was, you know, tired of the groundhog day that I was going through. And I got called out one day and called into the coach's office and just gave it to me like, uh, like I've never heard before. Um, and, you know, who was I, who did I think I was? And, uh, you know, just kind of going through the motions and really, really called out for it. And he snapped on me and made me do the fitness testing uh, at camp the next morning at like 7 a.m. and was petrified, right? Like, oh my, like the, uh, I, I was going to get sent home and, you know, so worried. I, I, uh, I actually tested better than I did in the fall, which was a good thing, but you know, that was a huge lesson for me to, um, to battle through, to realize like, it's just not good enough. Cause even when I came back from, you know, testing and I, my results were, were good. Um, they were like, well, what are you doing to get better? And I'm like, well, I do what the trainer tells me. I do what the coach tells me, I do what they tell me in the gym. And he's like, well, what else are you doing? And I was kind of like, I don't know, I'm doing what I'm told. It was like, well, you should be going to that coach every day. You should be going to the trainer every day and the guy, the, the trainer in the gym. What extra can I do? What more can I do? Is there anything else I can do? And that really stuck with me. Like, you know, I, I think it's not only in hockey, but like in the rest of my life of like, you know, any adversity, any sort of wall you come up to, any adversity you want to get through, it's like, okay, well, here's maybe your vanilla answer and probably doesn't work out still. It's like, well, how do I get around it? There's gotta be another way. There's like, I developed the stubbornness of like, no, I'll figure it out. Um, so I think just that mentality of going through adversity is huge for, huge for kids. And, you know, again, in youth sports, like where else, if, you, if it's done the right way, where else are you gonna be able to teach a kid those life lessons of adversity than, you know, some sort of failure? Um, I, I think going through that adversity and failure of, of certain things that develop that character for kids for life. Um, and hopefully you have a good enough support system that can uh, support you through that adversity, which I think we need all through life. But given the right methods, the right context, that adversity is paramount to a kid's development. There's so much to unpack there. I love everything that you just said. So I got a couple things. All right. A, so how, Brian, how, how funny is it? Like when you go to a doctor, maybe you go to the dentist or something like that, maybe for a wellness check or something. And they go, one of the questions I always get asked is, uh, have you had a surgery before? And then you have to name uh, off like all of the surgeries that you had in all the years. I'm like, how much time do you have? I've had six. Yeah, <laughs> so. that, well, it's like you get that, that sheet and there's like one line, yeah. have you had surgery before? I'm like, okay, I need like, can I write in the back of this? <laughs> and then normally I just write down multiple surgeries because it's usually just for the clerk. Um, and then when I get to the doctor, I'll explain it to him like, yeah. what it is, but I hate going to any new doctor or anything <laughs> for something. <laughs> it's like, oh, like it, there's going to be a business and I think people are developing it, but like an electronic form that, Hey, here's my record of my medical history. Boom. Take it and, and, you know, 
here's my application or, or um, <laughs> form. Did we, yeah. we just it's become ridiculous. millionaires? Did we just invent something on this show? We're billionaires. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Oh man. So that was just a little, yeah, a little, little segue there. So a, I'm going to do the home alone thing. A two. <laughs> um, so Vex, I did get cut. And when I got cut, like, uh, it was my, I think I've talked about it on the podcast. It was my peewee major year. I had played up with the 84 groups, you know, my whole life pretty much. And then I got cut the one year and then I had to play for Stan who Brian was my like my coach growing up that I still consider the best coach I've ever had. He's a guy straight off the boat from Russia, disciple of Tarasov, just like did things so much differently. And um, had I not gotten cut from that team, then like, you know, I would never have played for Stan. Like a big, I'm a big, everything happens for a reason kind of guy. And, exactly. uh, and that was one of those things. And then, then D the other thing is that Brian, I think what you said is so, so, so valuable and so, so important. When I look back at my times of adversity and, and the times where, you know, I was kind of down on my luck for whatever reason, whether it was getting cut or hurt or not playing well, like that support system is everything. No person I can't believe is self-motivated enough or self-positive enough and treats themselves right to get out of those times alone. I don't think it's possible. Yeah. I honestly don't. And so that's why surrounding yourselves with the right people and the best people who number one, aren't going to let you feel sorry for yourself when things like yeah. that happen, but know that putting an arm around you and supporting you is just as important as that. And I just think like, for me, like the people that I had around me when I went through those tough times and continue to go through those tough times because they don't end in, in life, you know, like, those people are the ones that get you through um, yeah. and challenge you when you need to be challenged and support you when you need to be supported. And it's just like, it's just, Oh God, it's so important for kids. It's so important for adults. And that's like, I feel like that's getting a little bit lost nowadays. And I just want to reiterate to everybody that listens to our podcast, even though we say it pretty much every dang time, like surround yourself with the right people and you're putting yourself yeah. in a good position to achieve what you I want. I just want to say on that for, you know, when my daughter came and made the, you know, lower team, I know she wanted to make the higher team. And when she came home from that trial, I was like, how'd it go? And she was like, oh, I made this team. And I was like, like, gave her so much praise and like that's awesome like congratulations and she was like, like oh thanks and you know <laughs> and i was like well what's wrong and i was like you made the team that's awesome and you know obviously she had this inside her head that you know she was wanting to or was going to i don't know what level it was at for her but i was like that's great you made the team that's you should be proud of yourself and and then we were able to have that conversation on her own. She was able to say, well, I'm, you know, I wish I made the other team. And I was like, well, you know, you can try next year. What are you going to do to get better? Right. Like there's the opportunity to like almost reverse psychology on her of instead of saying, ah, oh, yeah, you didn't make it or oh, that sucks. You didn't make it. And, and kind of go into that self-loathing of it being like reverse it on them. Um, so I think it's, it, it's definitely right that that support system and, and that message that you can you again going to back up mistake that a kid makes or whatever you know the kid made a mistake everyone knows the kid knows they made a mistake but it's how are you going to support them and change the message and, and help them develop because they don't they're kids they don't know how to navigate these things in life right 
Very true. Very true. That's why yeah. coaching and parenting and mentorship and leadership, like we've talked a lot, Brian, like in, in recent past, but quite a bit of how, and it kind of ties into a lot of the stuff we were talking about, about like peer stuff, like how important yeah. mentorship is. And, uh, you know, we've had, and you even mentioned, you know, going through some tough times there in your first couple of years, like how important was it? Because I think it's important at the youth levels, but especially when you get older, like how important was it to have some of those guys in the locker room, you know, kind of helping you? And was there one guy when you were kind of going through those tough times as a 19 year old trying to find your way in the league that really kind of helped you to, to, to figure it out and, and to, to get there? Yeah. You know, there was a lot of, um, a lot of guys. I mean, even my first year when I was uh, there, when I was hurt, was Mark Messier was there. Oh. Um, yeah, and <laughs> you know, just you know, talk about a guy of leadership, right? Like um, he was kind of really at the end of his career there, so he wasn't as as involved. But um, just like little things that he do, you know, I'd, I'd gone over to his place for for dinner when everyone else had gone away on the road, and he was hurt too, and just stuff like that that you knew you were, you, they made you feel part of the team still. Um, so there was, but there was, but that's the hockey, hockey culture and, and things that need to be taught and developed at this young age of, of like, that's a teammate. Like no matter what they're going through, you're there to support them. Right. So. How about, how about Donald Brashear? I'm looking at your uh, elite prospects and I went to uh, uh, your first year. We played those six games. Donald Brashear had 28 points. 79 games and he was even on the season like yeah 28 points wow i know yeah <laughs> amazing we, we had a really good team in those first couple of years um and unfortunately we didn't go further than we we did but um he he had some really good hands like he was a big intimidating guy uh which was great to have on your team um but but yeah i think he was a little uh, underrated for some of the skills that he had <laughs> that's that's unbelievable i gotta tell this hilarious story because i don't know if i ever told this on the podcast but i was telling somebody about it the other day i think the first time in in like a long time after he was kind of done in the nhl he got sent down to uh hartford and i was in the american league on providence and i was playing with this line mate of mine who was just an absolute shit disturber like marshawn times 10 and he's going around hitting guys behind sticking him in the back of the legs and Brashear stands up on his side of the bench. It was like their bench. There was the glass and then our bench. And he stands up on the bench and he's hanging over the bench. Just, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you to this guy. And this guy is way smaller than me. And I'm not tough, but I'm big. And he's like, what do I do? I'm like, I don't know, man. Don't look at him. So yeah. we get on the ice the next shift. <laughs> of course, my line mate buries a guy from behind. Brashear is sprinting over to us and he's going <laughs> to jump this guy. He's like, I think he was like yelling, I'm going to kill you. Well, thank. And I'm like, I was like, Oh God, like that kid cannot fight Donald Brashear. Like, obviously I can't either, but I can't, if I let him do that, I'm never playing again. So I was like getting ready to like intercept Brashear. And as that's happening, the guy who we hit from behind jumped my, the, the, my line mate and Brashear just like stood there. And I was like, Oh God, thank you. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was. I think I, there might have been a little bit of poop in my pants between periods. Oh man, I didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Season. One of my first games in an exhibition game. Um, it was uh, in Vancouver, and just a simple play. I jumped the puck in, and Valerie Bure kind of like stuck me. Um, it was exhibition, and you know, uh, first camp or whatever. And I was like, 
I had to play a certain way. I knew I had to play a certain way, but, you know, NHL and the men that were in this league were a little more intimidating, right? But so, again, like I slapped him back, Valerie Burry, right? Small little guy, of course, he didn't do anything. Next thing I know, I turn around and like, it was, we were playing Calgary and five guys are coming at me. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> so then it's kind of a scrum and then Kale Hall pulled me out of the, the pile or whatever. And my first NHL fight and um, did not know much about Kale Hall, but very tough player. And he's also a lefty. Oh, so it was a, it was a tough combination, uh, you know, but we fought or whatever. And I got a nice black eye out of it. And, but then I remember like in between periods, Donald Bashir came in and he was like, great job. You know, you did everything you should have done. Don't take crap from anyone stand your ground and, you know, good job for, you know, showing up, uh, you know, cause you know, initially you think like, Oh, I slashed Valerie Burr. I shouldn't have done that. And then I got, I lost the fight and, you know, you're not sure where you kind of stand, but all of a sudden this guy comes in very obviously some sheer respected guy and, and giving me that, again, that positive affirmation where I wasn't sure where it might've fit in. Um, and then sure enough, the next, period, Donald Bashir fights Kel Hall <laughs> and um, kind of, cool. you know, stood up for a young kid that, you know, Kel, I forget how old he was, but he was a, a veteran at the time that here's an 18 year old kid that, you know, trying to fit his way in. But, um, you know, that again, the positive affirmation and then being a teammate of, you know, he's one of ours now. That's awesome. I don't think, yeah. I honestly don't think there's any like better feeling as a teammate than sticking up for somebody. And then like during the intermission, just like you're talking about with Brazier, like having somebody come up to you and say like, Hey, great job, man. Like that's happened oh, to yeah. me in junior hockey when I fought a couple kids and then like somebody came in and like, whether it was the coach or whether it was the guy you stood up for is like, and then, the, and then all the boys in the locker room are like, yeah, like, yeah, you just like, yeah. It's such like a, and obviously the game is changing now and fighting's a little bit getting weed out, but back when we were playing, I just feel like it was such like a badge of togetherness when somebody would stick up for somebody. And then like everybody had that recognition that like, we're kind of in this together. And then when you get that, just kind of tying everything together, that positive affirmation when your teammate or the coach or whoever is like, Hey, yeah. Way way to stand up for them like that. I don't know. There's, there's very few feelings in hockey that are better than that. Oh yeah, for sure. And then again, that peer review, right. Of, of knowing Don Boucher did that for me. Like here's yeah. something that I, I took pride in of carrying forward in the game of like doing things for my teammates, saying the right thing at the right time for, for certain teammates and learning from a peer of how to conduct yourself, of when to do things at certain times of, of how to pick somebody else up that, you know, you know, I, I'm sure I, I felt embarrassed at the time, right. Like that, you know, here's a young kid and, and you know, flashed the, uh, one of their star players and, and then lost the fight and, you know, kind of didn't think there was anything good in the situation. Now, all of a sudden, I had this, like, pride feeling of, like, wow, thanks, you know, and, and being able to carry, like, knowing how he made me feel was something that I took um, to heart and wanted to carry forward for, you know, I think the rest of my career. That's awesome. That's very cool. Yeah. Well, 
Brian, this is, this has been great. It's been awesome getting the chance to pick your brain on a lot of different things. And, uh, um, it's awesome what you're doing down there in Southern California. Now I'm so jealous, so jealous, especially yeah. if we head into, you know, October, November, December here. Um, but, uh, congrats on a fantastic NHL career. Really glad that we got a chance to get connected here, uh, and got the chance to get you on the podcast because I think there's just so much value from a lot of the lessons and the values that you've been able to share with us here today. I think our listeners are going to get a ton of out of it so we really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to to talk some hockey talk some life with us and uh we wish you nothing but the best of luck moving forward and if there's anything you need from us certainly let us know yeah no i appreciate you guys having me on uh i know i promised max herney uh from our gold rush team uh from props and, and his dad chris for making the introduction to us and and uh like i said earlier i don't know if i said it before we started or not but you guys are doing a great job. I love the message that you're you're trying to convey and, and uh, resources for parents that are trying to navigate this uh, tricky world of, of, of trying to be good parents and, and grow our kids into good adults. Absolutely. Well, thanks for the kind words. We appreciate it. And uh, yeah, let's uh, let's keep in touch and uh, enjoy that sunny weather down there. Hi. Yeah, thanks, guys. <laughs> well, uh, you'll have to have me back on sometime. Absolutely. We'd love to have that. All right, thanks, guys. Uh, See ya. Yeah.